Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It should come as no surprise to any one of us what happens in that Old Testament reading and the Gospel reading as well today. You look at these events, you hear them, they're well known, in the life of Jonah and in the disciples, and you see something very human, something very common. Storms and times of great upheaval are terrifying. Remember the derecho? It's especially the case when you think about both instances being on water and the boats they were in, or at least what they called boats back then. We were looking at Bible study a few minutes ago, old wrecks or archaeology things of boats during that time, and it was, you'd look at that today and you'd think, you want me to get in that and go on water? I don't think so. But what's revealed in both cases is something that God exposes about these men. And it applies to you as well. You're not God. And you need someone to deliver you from these things in life. Now how this all plays out is seen in the readings. And the true answer and deliverance, they're not what man imagines on his own. Now let's look at that first at that Old Testament reading for a minute, minute, shall we? Here again these words. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, two things are going on in this reading. Well, there's a lot going on, even more than two, but two things for our consideration. Now, the most obvious is the second thing, which is going on in the storm which threatened the ship to break. That's enough to rattle anyone, even the most experienced sailors. You think your ship's going to break apart? That's not a good thing. So when you're out on the water and your only safety from a watery death is cracking, moving, rattling on the verge of busting open and releasing you to the bottom of the sea in a watery death, there doesn't seem to be much hope. The other thing, however, is the first thing mentioned in this reading and something which is quite puzzling. Do you remember the reason why the tempest came upon these men on the sea? It was because it was sent by God. The Lord himself sent this storm that almost caused the death of these people. Now, the fact of God sending the storm can cause a great study of God's word on this subject, and it's very worthwhile. It's a lot that can be said. But in short, we are quick to fall into one of two ditches when it comes to things like this in life. The one is to simply say that God causes all these times of disaster or suffering as a way of punishing people. He was going after Jonah in this instance, we heard. Now, I had people ask me this after the derecho that hit our church and community. They'd say, Pastor, is God 
trying to tell us something? Are we being punished for this? And then on the other hand, though, there's another tendency, the one that's maybe perhaps more common amongst us Lutherans, is just to simply say, well, God allowed this or permitted this to happen. And while that is a true statement, the error is there to make God not all-powerful, but simply a spectator on the sidelines of his creation so that he really doesn't have command over these things. He just has to let them go and be as they are. Now, nowhere in the scriptures is this the case with either perspective, that every instance is a sign from God that he's doing something with punishment or whatever the case may be, or that he's just simply permitting these things and he doesn't have a hand in it. Those two things are errors. But what the scriptures do teach us in all of these situations is not to go running to where unknown and conclusions about God are not given. Always a safe bet is where the Bible speaks, we speak, and where the Bible is silent, we are silent. Where God's ways are hidden, we don't go searching because we will only find the God of wrath and sinfulness before him. In Luke 13, Jesus brings up terrible events that had happened, and then Jesus taught the people to see these things and repent. So in all circumstances in life, whatever it may be, God always points us to repent and trust Christ and those promises of who he is and what he has done in Christ, because that is what we do know and what God has done for us. This is God revealed and revealed in his grace and mercy towards us in Christ. Go searching for God in his power and in his control. Good luck with that one. Now, going back then to the response of the men, we see what they did. We heard, then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Now, there's an old saying, I'm sure you've heard it, that there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. And it's entirely true. Part of our makeup as creatures, as men, is that we know there is a God in the sense that we know when we look at creation, we have this sense that there is someone who has created things around us and ourselves included. We look outside for our source. The very fact that you have a belly button testifies to the fact that you didn't create yourself and that you were dependent on somebody, right? God puts that there. You were connected to somebody to take care of you in the womb. Now, this knowledge that there is a God or that there is someone bigger than us isn't a saving knowledge of God. Because we don't know in that who God is personally, we don't know of his redemption in Christ, it's just this general understanding. Now the response of the men then in Jonah 1 is when they're facing this storm on the sea is to try and deal with this situation in which they find themselves. And they're living out that general knowledge of God. Because outside of Christ, this will be either to try to dismiss the notion of God by creating a God in a world within ourselves that places our minds, our reason, our desires at the center of the universe, and the end-all be-all, where life just becomes simply living for the day. Or the other response, which we see in the reading from Jonah, is to create false gods that can be appeased so that we can remain in their favor. Did you notice each one of these men had their own god they were crying out to for help? And this you see all over the world, even in remote places. When new people are discovered, they have some idea of a god or gods they have created, be they in nature, in the sky, their ancestors, or anything, 
and everything in between. And you always, always have to appease them in some way in order to be saved. That's the other thing that's inherent in that, is this idea of the law, that we must do something in order to be right with this God. So those men on the boat with Jonah were trying to call out to their gods for help. So then Jonah wakes up, they wake him up, and they speak to him about why this is all happening. And then they finally relent, and Jonah is cast overboard, and they're hit with this hard dose of reality. Their gods were worthless. Their gods couldn't save them. We hear, therefore, they called out to the Lord, which if you don't know, and it's the divine name of God, Yahweh, is what's mentioned there. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea caused cease from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. That's the Old Testament reading. Now let's go to the Gospel reading. And Matthew recorded us what happened. When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? So now, here are the disciples. You know, the guys who walked around with Jesus, saw him work miracles, listen to his teaching. They get into this boat with the Lord. And what are they doing? They're afraid. Now let that sink in for a minute, pun intended. Jesus was literally within arm's reach of them. He's in this boat. And something like a storm terrified them to the point that they thought they were going to die. Now, their response was different than the men in the Jonah reading. But it was still nonetheless evidence of their fallen state. These men were creatures who knew they had no way to stop the storm. And they knew their own mortality that this thing which came upon them could very well kill them. Now, Mark's gospel has a parallel account that gives us a few more details that are helpful as we consider this event in the life of Jesus. In Mark's gospel, Jesus says something to the disciples before they got into the boat. He said to them, let us go across to the other side. And there's something significant in that. The Lord told them they were going to the other side before the storm came upon them. He spoke those words, that promise to them as they began their short journey. So Jesus rested easy even as this was all going around on the, and as they were on the boat. But the disciples were quick to forget those words of the Lord. Jesus told them they were going to the other side. So when they wake him up, Jesus does the opposite of what we heard last week. Remember, he marveled at the centurion's faith. But what does he say to his own disciples here in this reading today? Why are you afraid... O oh, you of little faith. It's pretty harsh, but it's true. Why in the world were these men who walked around with Jesus afraid? 
men of little faith. So taking all of this in this morning, there's a lot to take in. There are two warnings for you as you sit here. The first is to know that there is only one God. So listen to him. The reading from Jonah teaches you this truth. All around you in the world today, you see so many things and so many ways people form gods in their own hearts, even in our own hearts, try to create idols after everything. You see this, you just look through the news, you think of all these different things and the dangerous lie of the devil to try to provide false comfort, false hope, as people face things in life, especially death. It's so common to hear people talk about heaven and eternal life for anyone and everyone, no matter what they believe, because in our minds we want to think everything will be okay in the end. But we forget that Christ is the only way to salvation, and only by his name alone are men saved, and faith comes through hearing the word of Christ. And even among people who profess the name Christians, this is the case. We end up creating false gods of faith. We think faith is something in our person, something that gets us through tough times or faith in a God who doesn't call us to repent of our sin, or the God who clearly teaches us what happens when we try to find him apart from his word, despising preaching and his church, which is his bride. Those are serious things. Jesus himself said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So faith, for faith's sake, just this notion of faith like a George Michael song, that's idolatrous. Faith in Christ justifies. It saves because it lays hold of Christ and his benefits. It lays hold of his work for you. And how faith lays hold of Christ and his benefits is through his means of grace, his word and sacraments, as the Lord teaches you. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Baptism now saves you. Take and eat, take and drink. This is my body. This is my blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. The list goes on and on and on. So what then? What do you see in all of this? Well, look around you. And see this world in its fallen state. See the devil prowling around like a roaring lion. Look at yourself and see one whom from the time of your conception is a sinner who still falls short of God's commands. So what then? Lord, to whom shall we go? Then he, Jesus, rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? So what God does before you today is he places before you Christ. And you see Jesus. You see him as he is revealed to be in this reading. Because the storms may be fierce, they may threaten to destroy your body. But Jesus, this guy who was sleeping in front of the disciples, is the one who commands the winds, who commands the sea, and the one who says, I'm here for you. And lest we forget that in so many ways, that's who Jesus is. That's what he does. And it puts everything else into perspective. So rather than trying to appease a false God in our hearts, trying to rationalize that we have rejected God in our lives, or trying to find an answer for why a certain thing is happening, thinking we know better than God when God hasn't revealed it, or instead to God who commands all things and orders all things, 
Rather than looking at events in this world and being anxious and afraid of these events, these illnesses or people, look to Christ who stood up in the boat and silenced the winds by his words. And rather than despair of your sin and resign yourself to live in its slavery and bondage to Satan, look to Christ, the one who has paid the price for it by his blood and set you free from its bondage. So Jesus is the Son of God. He's your Redeemer, who has claimed you as his own. And he forgives your sin, and he gives you a new life in him. And baptized into Christ, this is all yours, and you are covered with him. You've died to all these things in life, like creating false gods, being afraid of the things of this world, because that's not who you are, as you have been been recreated to be as one who is a baptized child of God. Just like the disciples in Mark, in your baptism, Jesus, in a sense, has said to you from that font, let us go across to the other side. Let's go, guys. He said, you are an heir of eternal life. And so long as you go through this world, however long that may be, this fallen creation that you see all around you, and even that attacks your own flesh, you have the promise that you will be safely on the other side of the shore. Because the Lord goes with you, And he keeps you. And he's not just there in some nebulous power to kind of watch how things go, but he's actually for you in Christ. So this means that as you face all of these things, suffering, death, the devil, or when sin tempts you to go away from God, you place before all of these things Christ and his promises. In place of those things, in place of fear and in place of that, you fix your eyes on Jesus, crucified and risen for you, as he's revealed as God in the flesh, your Savior, the one who even raises the dead. So see your redemption in him and know what what belongs to you in Christ and what this means for your life now and what your future holds. So when you face those things, you say in response when tempted to fear, when tempted to sin, when tempted to try to answer for God, you say, no, my Lord says I will be with him forever. He has washed away my sins. He has said, whoever believes in him will not die but live. He himself has died for me, and he himself preserves and guards and keeps me in his care. I will go where he has promised to be, and everything in my life will take a back seat to his word and sacraments, and I will teach my children to do the same. I will flee from all that is evil, even as the Lord overcame the devil in the wilderness for me. I will not fear that the earth be moved and the mountains give way, for my Lord Jesus is crucified and risen from the dead. And death, even you, O defeated foe, are a wimp and no match, for I am baptized into Christ, and I will live with the Lord forever, and my body will be raised from its grave to live in immortality and corruption. The one whom the wind and the sea obey, who silences them by his word, he is my Lord, and I am his, now and forever. Amen.